you're very important. You're a very important person. But that's, <laughs> it's the paradox of a yogi that a yogi is also very humble and non-attached mm. to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Hundred yogi Namaste, Shining Yogis, and welcome to the 100th Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, his Yogi Dudeness, connecting you to the collective conscious of the yoga world. I invite you to join me for a glimpse inside and behind the mind of the yogi, as each yogi shares stories from their own personal journey along the path of yoga. So whether you just stepped onto the path or you've been dedicated for years, we hope our stories resonate equally true for anyone with an open heart, open mind, and open ears. Lastly, before we get started, my unofficial sponsors are Manduka Yoga Mats and Dr. Browner's Soaps. Buy Manduka's Lifetime Guaranteed Pro Mat, the yoga mat that saves other yoga mats from ending up in the trash. Support Dr. Browner's 18-in-1 Soap, Organic Fair Trade, and All One. Vote with your dollar, buy Dr. Browner's. Without further ado, namaste, Buddha. Namaste, yogi. Namaste, dude. You weren't specifically on my list in terms of who immediately came to mind just because you were like kind of you're kind of like Kish. You exist somewhere in the ethosphere. And yeah. So, okay. So, my point is that the story, <laughs> the story is super. Are you, are you sober? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, but you look very like spirited. So, I don't know. You know yeah, what I mean? I feel pretty good. I'm very spirited. I exist in a different realm. My life is a trip without drugs. I can imagine drugs would accentuate my trip. But they, might, they might ground you a little bit. Yeah. I don't yeah. I mean I've done I've, shroomies and whatnot. Like, recently? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and we can talk about that and that's what I'm saying is like that's your trip that you're on and that's what the yogis are doing amazing things. Yeah. The yogis are amazing preachers, avatars, whatever. And generally when I talk about a yogi and that like someone that embodies it, Ashton is like a, an avatar. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so are you. Yeah. You're like an avatar. Like you're like in a whatever being. And I think that it's important. I'm kind of going around telling people that mm -hmm. I'm like, you are an amazing yogi. So it's interesting to know that story, considering where you're at now, that early experiences with like getting Irie, going and observing nature, that's very yeah. kind of part of your journey. When I first started smoking ganja, it was a big revelation for me. I used to spend a lot of time sitting by myself, getting high and like walking around, you know, the bushes and the, the chaparral and overlooking the lagoon. And I'd go and sit and kind of do my version of meditation and, you know, talking to plants and pretty stony. Even before I started smoking ganja, I was um, looking into the work of Carlos Castaneda um, because my dad had studied his stuff when he was younger. And he left that. You have to like elaborate. Um, Carlos was a anthropologist and for his thesis he went down to south america and found a shaman named don juan and for about 12 years and was introduced to all sorts of plant medicines and the culture and worldview. this is very esoteric stuff it's pretty psychedelic 
before you even started yeah. smoking weed. Yeah, so I was I was really down for the worldview, and I I very much valued the idea of alternate states of consciousness and non-ordinary. Suppose there are unique qualities of the yogi. Maybe that's like karmic previous life. Who knows if, mm-hmm. if reincarnation is real or mm-hmm. not? But maybe that could explain that. Yeah, from a young age, you were like yeah attuned to it. This whole process in the books, as they keep on revealing more and more and more of the overarching worldview that epitomizes the revelation of the plant medicine. And one of the things that he describes is that we're not so much physical bodies, but luminous cocoons, or an orb full of infinite luminous fibers, and that we as an orb are existing within a cosmic orb of luminous fibers, and that the act of perception is aligning the fibers on the inside of the cocoon with the fibers on the outside of the cocoon. And so, whereas the ordinary person would be under the impression that they're moving through time and space, from the perspective of the sorcerer or the shaman, time and space are like warping themselves around the bubble of perception that you are. Like a dream, for example, when you have a dream, it gives you this idea that you are an individual among other individuals working through time and space and that there's a non-simultaneous arrangement of scenarios that give the impression of causality. That's a good example, like like mm-hmm. the dream. When you're asleep, it's real. When you're awake, it's real. This seems so linear, but it's just because that's what waking life is like, whereas a dream is so non-linear. Time and space are so irrelevant yeah. in a dream. Yeah. There's all places all at once, and stuff just happens so spontaneously. Like, right. Huh. And so in a dream, you identify as the body that you're walking around in, when in fact you are the entire like substratum of the dream itself. So if you could dream lucid, then you'd be a, a sorcerer or a shaman because you're able to move the assemblage point and to align whatever fibers you see are, are most you know, relevant. And so for me, this was a big worldview shift. Um, and then when I started smoking ganja, it hit me really hard. Because he was so different than the shaman that I had been associated with through the books. Like um, Don Juan is a trickster and a joker. And he's always, you know, messing with your head and playing games. And it's always different than what you expected. Like even Carlos Castaneda was kind of outlawed or outcast as a charlatan. And I wasn't surprised at all because why would he be exactly who he says he was? You know, a lot of the material is made up. It's a maneuver on your consciousness that's meant to have a certain effect. It's not supposed to be real, absolutely. You have to like figure out the, the mysteries yourself. You have mm-hmm. to test it yourself. That's mm-hmm. like how it all works. But with Yogananda, he is pretty straightforward. You know, I'm, I'm the guru. Maybe he didn't say it in that way. And actually, he plays an interesting game where he's like, look, you know, where's God? You can't find him anywhere except the guru. But then who's the guru? He's nobody, nobody's home. He's just God. The story of the guru, from what I can muster, is that they're having profound experiences in meditation, and you can trust their truth. That's, from what I can understand of what the guru is, is that you trust that they've gone through this journey, and what they're telling you of the realms that they've experienced is true, whatnot. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to the trickster, like you were saying. And it's a slight leap for most people mm-hmm. to believe mm-hmm. all those guru stories. I'm not sure how true. Yeah, it's, a similar idea, right? It's not really the point whether it's totally true or not. Most people don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's like, still it's entrancing it. and yeah. it's captivating, especially yeah. to the youth, you know, because you have this idea that anything's possible. One of the very basic principles of yoga is liberation. And so deprogramming, like getting rid of the old socialization and what, whatever, and uh, being able to see reality in a new way. Mm-hmm. Where it's because everyone agrees to the current thing that we have going on right. that like it perpetuates. But in terms of individual liberation through yoga, it's like if each person can be more open-minded about the possibilities, then collaboratively we can, I don't know, imagine a new dream, mm-hmm, yeah. imagine a new reality. Mm-hmm. And it's the people are perpetuating it. Like even like on the most basic levels of like, if you go with your perspective, it's like our consciousness, conscious experience of reality. Like if we chose to see deeper than we would, but people are so surface level mm-hmm. that that's where it stays. Yeah. And then they can't feel more than that. They don't, it's, there's another guy named Zukov who talks about multi-sensory people. So instead of five senses, it's like using other senses. And if people were using other senses, that's what we would be experiencing. But they limit themselves to Mm -hmm. just five senses. That's our collective uh, vocabulary of our experience. It's like, yep, I eat it and it tastes good. Rather than like. I can feel the vortex, whatever you were talking about, you know? Yeah. Like I can feel time in this way. Right. Yeah, the interiorization of the consciousness that happens in yoga and yoga asana is pretty, you know, effective. Uh, Just trying to balance, for example, is kind of like a sixth sense. It's actually an intelligence. So basically, um, so schools only teach and train for um, reading and math, that's what schools, and then some science and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there's different intelligences such as musical, which is getting eliminated from school more and more. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one that you're talking about is spatial mm-hmm. intelligence. And that's what dancers and acrobats and so yogis, that's what you're cultivating. That's yeah. like this sense, intelligence mm-hmm. is how to balance, right. you know, and people walk around unbalanced. They, they aren't centered so their experience of life is never centered. It's never balanced. It's like not knowing math. It's like, I don't know how to add two and two. They don't know how to have spatial intelligence. They didn't mm-hmm. learn it. Right. So they don't have that in their experience of life. Yeah. So for me, I'm trying to tell people my experiences of you know, the simple stuff. And I can't say kind of this kind of stuff that Yogananda says, you know, I haven't like done the thing with the Kriya, like, because Kriya Yoga is like some magic. Well, to an extent, like they do I some mean, crazy they, you meditation know, you, you meet all the Kriya Yogis and they're more or less experiencing basic human consciousness. You know, it's a meditative insight, but nobody that I know is having the insight that, that Yogananda had, you know, traveling to mystic dimensions and that kind of thing. But everybody that I know who... Um, is open to the plant medicines, psilocybin, DMT, masculine, LSD. They all come back with a testimony that's pretty. Yeah, I've definitely consistent. I've definitely done shrooms 
at least a handful of times and had beautiful experiences on it of, of altered perception. And yeah. so that's again where it's like, I can preach to that. I, I didn't really study it. I think if I did it again, I would like soak that experience in uh-huh. as again, what the shaman and the yogi yeah. and the guru are doing is they're transcribing that experience to someone else. Right. They're like, and then they can lead that person on that journey. Maybe it's like, yeah. here's the stages of it. And here's like, you know, how my experience, you could open your mind this way. And yeah. Da, da. Right. So anyways, what my point is basically is that Yogananda, when you first experienced it was different than Don Juan. And I'm just saying, what I'm trying to teach from my experiences, from what I've gleaned thus far, I haven't been studying the Buddha intensely enough, but someone else's simple explanation of it that I was reading was he's just the awakened one experiencing what a normal human awakened, aware, conscious yeah. individual that was. And he was saying like, everyone could do that. That's right. That's my understanding of the Buddha nature. You know, I, I'm thinking back to um, something that is described in these books by, by Don Juan Carlos Castaneda. And after like maybe 10, 12 years of apprenticeship, when Don Juan felt that Carlos was ready for an explanation of this magnitude, he shared with him an insight about something called the mud shadows. And this was back before I ever heard about um, memes, right? And what these mud shadows are. Uh, are sub-psychic, non-human entities that exist as like data, essentially as like information patterns, and they're living in our nervous system, like the way that a parasite would latch on to a physical body. These are, are like psychic entities that are moving through us. And so when you learn to, to see them as a foreign installation, and not something that's like intrinsically human or part of human nature, and you can recognize that there's something that's moving through society that is provoking certain reactions and, and patterns in our bodies, and especially in the way that we move it's our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's showing up in the subtle mannerisms in your face and in your, your like neuromuscular embodiment. And so, like, let's say with music, for example, the music is this, it's like its own life in a sense. There's a certain embodiment to it. And then for you to play music, you put your body in a type of arrangement, you put your face and your eyes and your your mouth in a certain focus, and that allows the music to kind of flow through you into your body, into this world. Good explanation of music. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I'm saying about, like, I love simplicity. Mm. Like, you tell that to a musician, and they're like, yeah, I like that. It's a good idea. Yeah, and you can see it, take that and run with it in real time. You know, the way that they, they move their face, they kind of get this expression that allows them to focus and drop in a little bit deeper. And so they're it's like arranging low, yeah. their body in such a way that it's able to download and come through them. And the yoga is like that too. We put our body in a certain arrangement and then we open ourselves up to um, a type of consciousness that, that moves through us. And so that's the same thing about the, the Buddha as you're referring to like the historical Buddha um, but the word Buddha is just like awakening even and not just not just one person awake like you said it's all of us and as we become awake it's that Buddha nature shining through that's the explanation basically of when someone tries yoga and then they're like whoa I liked that 
and it's because of this thing in a sense of what you just said of you do the certain motions you open the channels and now energy is able to flow in and that's invigorating it's energizing that's mm -hmm. called it, but it's awakening and people don't really understand that initially but that's the that's the initial experience of i like yoga yeah and it's uh and that's why yogis are the are the jedi that are mm -hmm. awakening mm -hmm. the masses you know something i think happened for all of us is that when we were young we were more uninhibited and expressive and you know loud and intense and you know animated in our bodies and you see little kids playing and they throw their arms over their head and they yell and they play around all the time and get crazy and then through schooling and through you know even before that our parents telling us that it's not the right place or the right time or to tone it down we, we get you know conditioned to be like good little boys and girls and to not fully express ourselves and so what happens is there'll be like a, a real-time experience where you showed up to life fully animated and intense and passionate, and then someone in a position of authority told you that it's not the right time right now and that you shouldn't be like that. And they, they like, you know, stunted it, it you. It becomes so many of those that it becomes conditioned, right. and then you become like almost paranoid afraid exactly of that right that everyone's gonna do that to you and then everyone is like holding each other accountable yep of like you better not right don't do it don't be spirited don't right. be a don't be a happy person mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of my understanding of the mud shadow or of a certain type of meme set that has been passed down that's generation the, that's after the generation that's yeah the psychosis of society and so there's that those are the ruling the mud sets that are ruling mm. because people are just letting that take over them. And they're like, it's being reinforced. So I can remember one of my first experiences of this. I was at a dance party in third grade and uh, it was my first time dancing with a group of people, you know, all other kids and stuff and the teachers. And I remember I was kind of feeling weird at first. And then all of a sudden I had this breakthrough where I was like, you know, this is great and I'm having a blast and I dropped down on my knees and I was doing this weird boogie and uh, I felt so good about myself and went home all happy. And then the next day I was at school and I heard one of the kids I thought was like a really cool kid, you know, talking to this group of girls I thought were cute about how, how weird my dancing was, you know? He's like, did you see Shane last night? He was getting so crazy. But it wasn't like in a good sense. He was kind of making fun of me. And uh, I was crushed at the time. I remember just being so bummed about it because I was already kind of shy, you know? I was sort of reserved. And, um, and from that, that dance party, I learned to hold back my expression um, because I didn't want to be embarrassed. You realize the, the social gossip aspect. Yeah. And that's like, usually you realize that in like middle school, high school. Mm -hmm. And that's really when people become aware of like, everyone's yeah. looking at me. Like, right. it's, a psycholo it's a psychology thing. It's called like an imaginary audience. Okay, right. Which is totally true though. It's like a totally Absolutely. true audience because it's because people are becoming more aware of their own identity and then they start, you know, judging other people. And, yeah. And trying to break other people down, yeah. basically, and that's a total meme. That's I like this mud. What do you, what do you call it? The mud. Mud shadows. The mud shadows. I guess that's kind of where the idea of the the meme is totally like breaking other people down, kind of. 
Yeah, you know, the meme could be anything. It could be a positive thing, too. It could yeah. be like, look how cool this guy. I forget. There's a couple positive memes, but. Oh, okay. You're talking about internet memes. Yeah, what are you okay, about? I'm talking about the, meme? the meme from Richard Dawkins. He, oh, I don't know what He that coined is. the term meme. Um, okay, so throughout history, the way that nature has um, like evolved has been through genes. And it's a very slow process. It's like natural selection, mostly. And things just kind of work their way out over time. Um, and at some point, human beings became um, more proficient at conveying information through symbols, and especially through words. And so as our words took hold and we developed language, memes started to develop and memes are just ideas essentially that makes sense why then you call the meme on the internet pictures that because they're symbols mm -hmm. of generally facial expressions like right. you were saying and then you you can put whatever on top of it but people understand that this picture is represents this mm -hmm. kind of person yeah so if there's a cultural element to your lifestyle that's not genetic it's mimetic Right? There's these memes that are that are conveying information, and so you don't have to, like in other words, for you to live on through the next generation, you could just propagate your memes rather than your genes, and that's exactly what's happened. So, um, like, that's a very profound thing that you just mm -hmm. like. Thank you. That's a good piece of information there to to realize. Pretty heavy. And that's what we're. That's what I'm doing though. Is like, you have a lot of good information. Mm -hmm. All of the the yogis are the deep thinkers. They're like the <laughs> yeah. philosophers that are also like purifying their body temple. Mm -hmm. It's like a good mix. And I'm just trying to create something where we can all connect more regularly. Yeah. Because it's like what we were talking about before. Of I think that we speak the same language rather than like this frou-frou spiritual realm of like a million different conversations happening and everyone's like well this is reality and that's it but no one's on the same page whereas the yogis at least have like a common bond of like okay let's do a yoga class or whatever and then, yeah. we'll, and then we'll talk about like ideas share ideas i appreciate when you explain like a meme and whatnot i'm like that's a big idea yeah. broke it down and now let's moving forward so the reason why i mentioned this thing in third grade and what happened is because we all have our own version of that in some regard. And as children, at some point, we expressed ourselves wholeheartedly and got shut down and then made a subconscious agreement with ourselves that we're not going to do that again. That we're going to be more reserved and, and hold back our like, authentic expression because we don't want to get hurt. So it's not like a mean-spirited thing necessarily. You know, they just he thought it was kind of funny, but I took it personally and got upset and then it, it took me years and years and years to unwind and then I find myself at you know a music festival standing in the audience I don't want to move in a way that makes anyone else feel uncomfortable you know I don't want to be too dynamic or expressive and you see that in the crowd of people watching a show and 80 percent of them are just staring watching the show if I turn around and start dancing all of a sudden they're either going to feel like they have to dance or like they're like what is this guy doing you know and he's being too dynamic, too expressive. I ended up, you know, just moving through the crowd and waiting to find people that would really dance with me. And that was actually a whole, that's a whole story in and of itself of how I slowly worked my way up to feeling comfortable 
expressing myself with my body dancing in a group of people that was a huge breakthrough <laughs> it's funny to tie it back to yoga that like somehow gaining body control and awareness spatial awareness it like lends itself to liberating the body unlocking those things it like lends itself to also solving that problem yeah. being able to dance now you right. know what i mean because it's like you've, you've somehow tapped into it whether it's a mixture of subconscious residuals that locked the body up because it was one of those things where you didn't feel comfortable the way you move the body right because you were ridiculed or just learned how to move your body so then you felt right. you felt more competent so then you gained confidence and right. when you gain confidence then you can gain more competence whatever yeah and there, there were individual people that sparked a, a movement within me where i started to realize how dynamic the interaction really could be like I remember I was at Lightning in a Bottle, I was there for four days, um, taking a lot of mushrooms and mushrooms kind of put me in a space of, of wanting to sort of lie down and be in my own head. It's not like a very social thing for me, you know, I get really wrapped they can up be, in They story. can be pretty draining. Yeah, it's kind of exhausting sometimes too, because I don't want to like talk too loud or anything because I don't want people to feel uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't want to cause a scene. So I was taking them a lot and I would stand in the audience in Tadasana, just vertical, like centered and grounded. And when I got it just right, I would feel all of a sudden there's this resonance and I could feel the bass moving through my whole body, like my diaphragm and my throat and up like through the midline and I get these like crazy tingles, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is how I want to appreciate the music. I just want to stand in Tadasana and just chill. And I did that for like three days, right? And on the last day, I, uh, I finally took Molly. That was a really life-changing movie. Felt like I was in a cartoon or something, like I was lifted. And all I wanted to do was move my body. And the music was so alive and pulsing, you know, and it hit me like to the bone. But I still had a little bit of, you know, oh, I don't want to, you know, make other people uncomfortable. All these people that I don't know, a couple of people that I do know, which is even more intense. So like, you're my yoga teacher. I'd be walking around and be like, oh, Shane, dude, like, you know, you taught my yoga class like three or four years ago, and I, I get that a lot at these parties. And that would kind of even more make me aware, like, oh, I don't want to, you know, be too expressive. And so I remember we, I was sitting with all my friends, and I was feeling so good and dancing, but kind of in my own zone, you know, like doing my own like personal groove kind of thing. And then this guy shows up, and uh, he's literally wearing like a loincloth. Right? And he's got super long, like blonde dreadlocks and nappy beard. There's the total like yogi and he's moving like a maniac, just insane. But he's, he's moving from person to person. He'd walk up to one person and like connect with them and then see how much they were willing to resonate, how much they were willing to break through and actually like step forward and interact and get weird, you know, and get wild. And, um, and as someone reciprocated any little bit of intensity, he would like double down on it and get them like fully moving and, and like you know, encourage them essentially to break out of that shell. And I realized within, you know, a minute or two of watching this guy that he was performing an extremely powerful type of yoga, that it was to the, to the core of the human conditioning and that it wasn't just rehearsing Trikonasana, you know, it was actually addressing something, a type of resistance, a, a lack of flexibility psychologically. And then he was helping people to break through that in real time dynamically and it wasn't so much an instruction but a transmission and there was an energy that was moving through him 
that, that was absolutely captivating, and that is a meme that goes all the way back to the beginning when the, the alpha on the scene was the dynamic, charismatic, emphatic, you know, life-giving, joyful, dancing energy around a fire. You know, and then at some point, the alpha authoritarian position started to s crush that down and keep everyone on lock and, and the whole system that you're so familiar with, you know. And so the dancing and, and the yoga by extension, really, is the, the, the gateway that's going to liberate society from these totally insane ideas that we have about how, you know, it, it's inappropriate or, or embarrassing to, to show up and express yourself in a way that's actually authentic, you know, and that does feel good. Because, um, and then when he came up to me in that moment, all I could do was just laugh. And I couldn't really like break through and like interact with him so crazy because I've never moved my body like that. Like it was really bizarre, very strange. And, um, and I remember I was laughing so much that he came up to me and just started mimicking what I was doing. And then he's just laughing and laughing and laughing. We're just laughing at each other for a while. But then he moved on to the next person, you know, and before long there was like three or four of them all like rolling around and doing this, this kind of contact improv type of thing, which I'd never seen before. That was a huge breakthrough for me. Um, I ended up finding out that he was sober, totally sober, but he was just lifted because he wasn't being held down anymore by all of this conditioning that I was so steeped in at the time. And that was the last day of the festival, and so I didn't really get a chance to like explore it any more than that. But I knew like there was enough inertia to this movement that there was nothing that was going to stop. If only we could tap into these things sober where you can electrify your your existence, but it's hard to yeah. light up the sensory, the nervous system right. like these things do. It's easier after the fact. You know, like once I had that experience, I've only taken Molly a couple times and those have, have been radical shifts in the way that I like express myself and show up and interact with people and I become much more sensitive. I think that, okay, and so this is going back to plant medicine for a second. 